0: After commuting by train for the better part of 30 years, Tim Parks has started to figure out the reasons behind how things work and don't work in Italy. English by birth, Parks married an Italian woman and they've raised their family in Verona. His latest book follows up on his bestsellers from the 1990s in which he describes getting acquainted with the everyday frustrations of daily life in Italy. Parks also writes fiction, and his book Europa was nominated for a Booker Prize in 1997. He also translates Italian literature into English and teaches at a university in Milan. His latest book continues his affectionate examination of his adopted homeland and it's called Italian Ways, On and Off the Rails from Milan to Palermo. Tim Parks, welcome to Travel with Rick Steves. Well, thanks for inviting me. Thanks. The foundation of your book is we can learn about Italian culture from the train system. How so? Well,
1: more or less everything. Some people have even suggested you could tell the whole history of modern Italy uh, through the rail system. I guess the truth about myself is that I've, traveled on Italian rail for the last 30 years, partly as a commuter from Verona to Milan, uh, which is about an hour and a half commute, and then all over the country. And more and more uh, being aware of how they fix the ticketing system, how the whole policy of rail development is political rather than commercial. It gives you a sense the the way people are moving on the train, the way you can get a sense of people belonging in first class, second class, slow trains, fast trains. You just begin to realize that actually you can get a sense of a whole community by talking about how it uses its rail system.
0: And, uh, of course, Italy is a very diverse country. In your book you talk about how, uh, while Italy has diverse regions, the trains reflect that also. How how could you draw a conclusion about southern Italy or Sicily from Piedmont and Lombardy in the north?
1: Well, if we go from the far north to the far south, it's really pretty dramatic. Uh, In the north, you've got a heavily used, extremely frequent train system, which costs quite a lot and which people are using intensely. If you go down to Calabria, you've got tiny two-carriage vehicles trundling along with uh, diesel-powered, often, with funds from the European community to make the stations halfway bearable mm-hmm. uh, and almost nobody traveling on them. So uh, if you go to Sicily, you find that often there simply aren't railways where you thought they should be or they're not running on a Sunday at all. I mean, the railways in a certain sense indicate the presence of the state and the extent to which the region is really linked into a national community if such a thing exists in Italy. Okay. And and the South is, is clearly... Um, It's clearly slightly left out in that regard, yeah. yeah. So
0: up in the north, you've got that Germanic blood in in Lombardy, and and you have that Germanic intensity of the train system and efficiency. Down in the south, it's been kind of, for historical reasons, kind of a basket case economically and and relatively chaotic and underdeveloped, and consequently you've got a subsidized train system that might not even fit the needs of the community.
1: Well, (laughs) I'd be very careful on a lot of those declarations. I don't find the north really particularly Germanic at all, but certainly very efficient. Even in the North, the train system is simply vastly subsidized. I mean, tickets cost less than half what they cost in Germany, and season tickets probably cost about one-tenth of what they would cost in Germany. Huh. Um, the South is is a basket case economically, particularly since it was run by the North uh, since about 1860. Before that, the, the South was definitely not a basket case economically. And was very largely destroyed by, by the way the north
0: took it over. Unification around 1870 or something was actually not good for the south then. It was just going from one colonial overlord to another.
1: Well, you know, these things are terribly complex and one doesn't want to offend people, but unity actually, apart from Rome, really took place in in 1861 after the wars mm-hmm. of 1860. And the, the people in the north certainly tried to use the South rather than having a sense of community with the South. I don't think there's any mm. doubt about that. And there were many revolts against uh, national government. So so yes, and today certainly when you, when you travel, for example, there's now what's notable about Italy in the last 10 years is the introduction of a really wonderful high-speed train that runs all the way down from Turin through Milan, Bologna, Florence, Rome, Naples to Salerno a train that costs a simply astronomical amount of money that will never be recovered or paid back mm. and is terribly efficient and incredibly fast while all the regional rail services are, are left to language. But once you get past Naples and then Salerno, which is not long after it, you suddenly sort of fall off the edge of the map <laughs> mm. as far as trains are concerned and you trundle along, trundle along very slowly. In the book, one thing I... Obviously, most of my experience of trains is in northern Italy, and I made a a wonderful long trip on the trains through the south to write the last part of the book and really savour the south. Mm -hmm. And it was really wonderful because I wasn't in a hurry to get anywhere. But had I been
0: a serious traveler, it would have been truly disastrous. Well, you get spoiled with that super-fast train that's sort of the spine of Italian economy from Rome to Milano, I suppose, and then you get south of Naples and it's a different world. But that's sort of the charm of Italy. In your book, you you mentioned uh, the Ferrovie dello Stato, the the National Train Company as a kind of a Catholic Church. What did you mean by that?
1: Le Ferrovie dello Stato. Um, Well, Italians have this probably precisely because these small states that existed more or less from the Renaissance period up until uh, the mid-19th century, where many of them were run by foreigners or certainly by royal families to which people didn't feel very much loyalty. A whole relationship developed with power where really you you play in defense all the time against power, you try and avoid your taxes, but at the same time you want that power to offer you safety. And um, the Catholic Church... Is, is simply another example of a relationship with a large power that offers a kind of final safety, as long as you tow the line. The Ferrovie dello Stato, everybody feels they, they have a right to cheap, almost free train travel, if possible, and at the same time they all they all loathe it, and the amount of fare dodging is is very considerable. Um, the amount of travelling in first class is second class tickets particularly on regional trains and <laughs> so on.
0: You know, that's so interesting you say that. It's entertaining for a traveler to listen to conductors on the trains battling with uh, Italians who are sitting in first class and shouldn't be or who are on a train and, and they don't have a ticket. And and you, you write some very funny stories about uh, little old ladies who, who just stay on the train and, and then they get thrown off and, and they get on the next train and they get thrown off and sooner or later they get to where they're going to go.
1: <laughs> they get to where they're going, yeah. A lot of the book is made up with conversations, obviously, and some of those conversations are with uh, ticket collectors. Of course, Italy is a country we know where you have this figure of the so-called furbo, the person who's clever, who gets around the rules, who is perhaps a little dishonest but somehow admirable because he's perhaps charming with it. And a culture that creates a person like that inevitably also creates the culture of the person who the Italians call the pignolo, the person who's absolutely finicky that all the rules have to be obeyed and that nobody, there's no flexibility at all. And obviously, this is a good personality to have if if you're checking tickets. And so you get wonderful clashes because the rules are never actually terribly clear. Wonderful, very long discussions with these people. And funnily enough, at the end, although they seem so severe, as always in Italy, things are negotiated rather than imposed. So one solution is just to invite somebody to get off at the next stage. I mean, let me give you an example without wanting to bore your listeners too much, but it is a classic example. In Italy, you can buy tickets over the internet. You simply bring up the ticket on your portable screen and show it to the ticket collector, which is fantastic. You have to admire a system like that. When they moved this system to the regional rail, I did the same thing. But the first guy who collected my ticket told me that it wasn't acceptable on the screen because it said on the ticket that the ticket had to be printed, and it said it, of course, way, way off the bottom of the screen. You had to scroll down through all kinds of tiny regulations, with the result that this guy, who knew perfectly well that I paid my ticket, was asking me to pay a huge fine, and so on. And there was a huge argument, almost the whole carriage, because lots hmm. of the young hmm. people said, but a PDF is printed, hmm. so it can be on the screen. But anyway, in the end, the compromise was just to invite me to get off the train at the next station, which is a classic, you know. <laughs> And then go to battle on the next train and hope to find a different
0: conductor. Well, you know, the, the system is so complicated for tourists, but it's some reassurance to a tourist that we're not idiots because it's complicated to the locals as well. And you find a lot of people just What's the Italian word? I throw my arms down. I'm so frustrated, or something. And people si, are just mi
1: cascano le braccia, si, si. S- say that again. Uh, my arms fall. Mi le braccia.
0: Oh, yeah. I throw my, my... arms down. I just don't. There's... To me, fall <laughs> my arms. Mi cascano le braccia. Maybe. So you're just trying to I... deal with this thing with a sense of humor, and uh, don't try to get there exactly when you want to, and just uh, try to. Yeah. Work can it I out. say
1: that actually? Actually, you know, there are many other countries with equally complicated. I mean, the British system at the moment is a complete nightmare. But I think that they're complicated in different ways, so the British system is complicated because it's actually really geared up to usage of the train, so you pay different amounts at different times and it's terribly complicated getting your ticket because of that. Right. In Italy, it's all to do with pretending that there is still social prices for some tickets. Well, in fact, the railway system desperately needs money and so it has mm-hmm. to charge you real money mm-hmm. for, for other tickets. So there's an awful lot of ambiguity about things that makes really no commercial sense at all. So it's fun looking at these. Actually, I think I don't want to put tourists off. They will
0: actually find it pretty easy to use once they've figured it out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Italian rail system, you come away thinking it's great, but it's part of Italy, and that's one of the charms of Italy, and you just got to be on the ball. I, rem- I for, for me, standing on the platform, and if, if something comes on, the loudspeaker system... I don't speak Italian, but I just judge by how everybody else reacts. If everybody <laughs> if everybody curses and then goes down to the track number seven from track number four, right. you know your train's been changed join and you gotta join, you got to join them. Tim, in your book, you write about this fascinating notion of uh, unity and disunity. And you mentioned it's a nation at ease with the distance between the ideal and the real. Is that related to what you're talking about? Well, certainly in terms of unity, disunity,
1: yes. I mean, you know that Italy is, is Italy and not Germany, for example, or France, because the Italians are arguing with each other. I mean, they don't argue with the French and they don't argue with the Germans. They argue with each other. Mm -hmm. So it's like knowing that this person is a
0: member of a family because the family is dysfunctional, as it Mm -hmm. were. And Jean is on the line in Cincinnati, Ohio. Jean, thanks for your call. Thanks for having me. Yeah, do you have a comment for Tim?
2: Well, yeah, I plan on taking my 17-year-old son to Italy next May as a graduation gift, And right now, all of our travel is going to be via rail for about two weeks. And my son has studied Latin for about five or six years, so he's learned a lot about (laughs) ancient Roman architecture and culture. So I'm asking that, you know, outside of the Forum in Rome and or Pompeii, where else, you know, near train stations, might we get a good look at ancient Roman culture that might be a little bit off the beaten path?
1: I don't know what you call the beaten path, but almost everywhere in Italy... If the rail station's in the center of town, there's going to be some Roman stuff around. But, for example, if you go to Verona, which is a very wonderful city to visit, Mm -hmm. you will find uh, within uh, a very short bus ride from the station into the center, right in the center of town, there is Mm. the largest Roman arena, which is still in use for concerts,
0: operas, and so on. There is also a Roman theater up on the hill, which is very beautiful. You know, Tim and Gina, it's funny, when when, uh, Gina asked that question and Tim was coming up with his answer, I was thinking, where's classical Roman sites near a train station? And I thought, Verona. And then Tim said, Verona. And then I thought, well, you can't really walk there that easily. But then I remember once for my Facebook uh, blog, I just turned my little uh, video camera on in the train station to see what it would be like to step out, hop on a bus, and go downtown and it was like, I didn't miss a step. You step out of the train station, right in front of you, there's a platform, and there are buses literally every two minutes uh, zipping you from the train station right to, what's it called, Tim, Piazza Bra? Piazza Bra. Piazza Bra. And step off the bus yeah. in Piazza Bra, and you're looking at this, arguably the best-preserved Roman uh, theater in all of the ancient world. So that's easy Verona. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a vast amphitheater worth visiting, but also Verona has a river which goes in a in a meander through the city with steep hills on the northern side, and there is a Roman theatre on the side of the hill which is still used mm. For concerts and also theater and people productions. Love that. It's wonderful. Yeah. The city is full of Roman ruins, yeah. as indeed is almost any oh, Italian city. How
0: about. Italy. Osta is called the Rome of the North or something like that, isn't it? It's a little town. Nobody goes there. You can get there by train north of Milano, A O S T A. And its nickname is something like the Little Rome. And there's plenty of Roman sites up there that are truly off the beaten path. Gene, thanks for your call.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And John's on the line in Jersey City, New Jersey. John, thanks for your call.
3: Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: Comment on Italian train experiences for you.
3: Uh, we were traveling to Rome from southern Italy, and when we got into Napoli, we were delayed at the train station, and we were in a car with uh, a few other uh, Italians who spoke no English, and they all just kind of shrugged their shoulders and threw their hands up, indicating, this is Italy, this is the train, you just kind of roll with it. And then, uh, after about 20, 30 minutes, the train started rolling backwards. Uh-huh. So we were rerouted to a different track, and our five-hour trip took more than 10 hours by the time all was said and done. And as it turned out, uh, we didn't find out until we were in Rome that it was the largest rainstorm that they had had in over a generation. It was actually the same rainstorm that caused the mudslides in the Cinque Terre.
0: Oh, those are the flash floods that basically buried two of the towns. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yes. It's a uh, years and ago. Uh, in, in Rome, it was not as devastating. But back in in Napoli, uh, moving you know one stop at a time and then waiting twenty mm. minutes. Uh, we had a reservation at a B and B in downtown Rome, and it was our last night in town. And the owner of the B and B was just fabulous. Uh, we called him when we could you know, our reservation should have expired, and he said, oh, you're going to be here, come, I'll meet you. And so halfway from the Termini to the location, he met us, and it was kind of an interesting exchange. He's looking at us, pulling luggage, and we're not sure about this man who's looking at us, and then he finally indicated that he was our, our host for that night, mm. and, and he was just wonderful. He We got into town just after midnight, and uh, he convinced the local pizzeria, downstairs to reopen so that he could make us a pizza so that we could have something to eat. It's still the best pizza I've ever had.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that sounds like a, taking surprises in stride in Italy. Remember, it's about the size of California with 70 million people or something like that and some violent weather and some congestion on the rails and lots of people coming together at the same time. So best just uh, take it easy and enjoy the friendliness of people like you did.
3: That, that was very much our experience is people taking things in stride. The people were just wonderful. Even Mm -hmm. that was kind of a worst-case scenario, I think, on the train. You know, we we met so many people. uh, And, of course, at the time, we didn't speak any Italian at all. Coming up from Sicily, we got to Mineo, which is a big uh, travel hub going to the mainland. And something I had never seen before or since is... There was no bridge to get the trains across the strait between Mineo and the tip of Calabria. Hmm. Uh, and so they load the trains into the hold of the ferry boat. So the ferry, the body of the ship opens up and they take the train a third at a time. And then they have to disconnect the second third and the third third. And they just ride side by side in the boat and then have to reconnect on the other side. And so. Uh, While we were going through that process, we met this man, Vincenzo, who spoke very little English, and we had our handy Rick Steves Italian uh, phrase book, so we're doing a lot of pantomiming. It was great, though. We communicated. It was a lovely conversation, and uh, he saw that we were a little nervous about getting off at our stop at Lameca Terme. He, He was able to... Help us understand which stop to get off at. And uh, in the meantime, another individual gets on in the cabin with us, and we're all just kind of talking like we had known each other forever in broken Italian slash English and, and pantomiming. We asked him, you, you know, what, what the most beautiful part of his home was. And he just responded to this big, you know, bellissimo, oh, pizza pasta, Italy, it's all beautiful. Yeah. And uh, that, that was, you know, a highlight of the trip.
0: That's yeah. great. I love that. I, I just love that idea of getting the train, packing it onto the boat, and then uh, having people locally let you know everything's okay. Pizza, pasta, Italy. It's all beautiful. It, it really yeah. is a little you know, you
3: Just yeah. everything, is, you know, every, everything is a little more laid back, yeah. all very right. verbose.
0: John, thanks for the call. Thank you. Tim, have you been on that uh, train that John was talking about where the train goes onto the boat from uh, Messina?
1: Yeah, the train crosses from near Reggio Calabria to Messina on the Sicilian coast, and they put the train on the boat. It's completely crazy. It it makes absolutely no sense, because obviously it takes forever to get that train onto the boat. (laughs) Um, And if they simply got the people off the train and onto the boat on the other side, they could have a train waiting. So the reason why they do this is a a kind of commercial inertia that keeps a large number of people employed on the ferries and... um, there's really no other other reason for doing so. It makes no sense at all. I I must say, you know, it's kind of nice to hear from somebody who's so happy and and perceives the Italian culture as laid back and so on. My own feeling is, after 30 years in the country, that Italians have a way of presenting themselves to foreigners, playing a role that they know that, that foreigners are happy with. But certainly Italian life, as lived in the North, is absolutely not laid back at all, Hmm. nor is much of it close to the Dolce Vita, um, Mm -hmm. particularly in this period. But that doesn't mean it's not charming and not fascinating, which which I think it definitely is.
0: Well, there is that divide. I mean, you know, they say for every uh, church in Rome, there's a bank in Milano. And uh, (laughs) I I just find Milan is a high-powered place. People are power lunches and walking around quickly. It's (laughs) it's not your,
1: your Dolce Vita, that's for sure. No. The South is much slower. I mean, people yeah. actually w- deliberately walk slowly in the South. Partly, I mean, if you're used to walking in 35-degree heat, what's yeah. that in, in American terms? It's pretty much hot. 100. Yeah. Yeah. You learn to walk in the shade and keep it keep it a yeah. little slower. When well, yeah. the
0: South is say piano, piano, it'll be okay, just little by yeah. little. I like the way you write in your book about the inefficiencies of the system actually serving a purpose. And like you mentioned there, it's just a way to keep a lot of uh, rail workers employed, I guess. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Carol's on the line in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hi, Carol. Thanks for your call.
2: Hi. Um, I also had the experience of uh, taking the night train. I actually went to Sicily because I wanted to take the train before they put the bridge in.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: And uh, so I took a night train, and I got on at Palermo, and then a group came on at Messina who were people who commuted and they were really sweet. They could see that I was a foreigner. I did have a tiny bit of uh, Italian from having worked on Pimsler before I went, but um, not too much. And so they knew that I wanted to go up. So when when the train started doing the backing on, backing back and forth, this was maybe 1130 or something, they all went up on deck. And then they were really, they took me up with them. And then the women wanted to go back down and go to bed because they were actually... On their way to work the next morning. They do this every week. But I never thought to ask them what kind of jobs they had that would take them to Rome every week. They go on Sunday night and then they come back during the day on Friday and are with their families on the weekend. I did say to the man, you know, <laughs> basically, it must be hard to have to go to Rome every week. And he was kind of like, well, that's where the jobs are. They were so, so um, friendly. And I, I'm just now I have all these questions about what their lives might have been mm. like but I just didn't think to ask.
0: Well, you know, Carol, Tim writes about this in his book this this notion of campanilismo, where people make long commutes so they can stay near their moms and in their hometown and hear the, the bells and the bell tower of the church they grew up in. Tim, talk a little bit about why that means long commutes.
1: Well, all over Italy, people are commuting impossible distances uh, for the week. At the university where I work in, uh, many of my colleagues live in Rome and and commute up from Rome for the week Um, or even further afield. uh, One of them lives in Palermo, in fact. Uh, Obviously, they, they use the plane. But the trains have traditionally been used to make possible a constant movement of workers both from south to north and then around the north, very long commutes. People believe that their hometown is the center of the world and they're determined to live there, if you had real train prices that actually reflected the cost of the trains, none of
0: this would be allowed to happen. Ah, it's possible because of that,
1: yeah. The government's basically subsidizing a sort of anthropological uh, situation, as it were. It's fascinating. Much of it, you feel, could never happen in a country that was more ruthlessly commercial, where the price of that train would simply make it, it... There would simply be no sense, and you would find a flat. In the area you were living in, and and what it oh. does mean is a lot of people's lives get very attached to their their family and and remain there, and and it's a way, as it were, of of not you know spreading your wings and, and be, so there, there's a downside number and obviously a very plus side to it. Mm. In the book, for example, I have a chapter about what it's like in the stations in the far south, places like Taranto, or Lecce. In those early summer months when the young people who are studying in Milan or in Bologna and the workers who are are working up north in Turin or maybe as far as Udine come down for the summer holiday for a month. And the scenes in the station are just extraordinarily emotional with the tension as the train comes in and all the families waiting to see people Mm who they haven't seen perhaps for a couple of months.
0: And the challenge for travelers, I mean, Italy is my favorite country in Europe, and uh, it's one of the most popular destinations, but the challenge for travelers is to go with that rather than fight that, and that's really uh, critical to enjoying your time in Italy, I would say. Well, uh, enjoying your time on this planet, uh, Rick. <laughs> uh, Broader than Italy, okay. Don't,
1: don't fight it too hard, but certainly, yeah, when you when you're traveling anywhere, it's as wise not to try and apply the rules that apply, you know, in New York or or, or in Boston, and actually wait a bit and see what's going on. I mean, your man there talked about a five-hour delay because of a major meteorological Mm -hmm. event, and I I suppose that can happen anywhere. But in the book, I talk about a series of delays that went on for more than a month or more, where the train would just stop in empty fields, and you'd hear the mooing of cows. Mm -hmm. Finally, I discovered that there was a, a farmer's protest and they were blocking the line with cows and they would basically block the line for half an hour and then release the train. Mm. And that was because this had been agreed with the police. So r- the police, rather than clearing them, made an agreement with them that they could block each train for half an hour. Mm. Okay, And you would see them sitting in the fields together, drinking wine together while the train was stopped. I mean, it, it was quite extraordinary. And it, it's pointless fighting it. You just have to think, okay, we'll just have to... Wait until this farmer's boat is all in this together. I think it was about two months, and uh, two yeah. months every day.
0: Carol, thanks for your call. It's fascinating, Thank isn't you. it? Yeah. Okay. Happy travels. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Tim Parks, and Tim has spent a lifetime on the trains in Italy. I think three decades commuting all over, enjoying Italy by the rails. He's written a fascinating book, an insightful book called Italian Ways: On and Off the Rails from Milan to Palermo. Tim, you dedicate your book to all those who love to read on trains. I just thought that was kind of curious. Why did you dedicate the book to those who like to read on trains? Well, uh, I read a lot. You know, I, w- I work in a university. I, I teach translation
1: and literature. I write. And I read an enormous amount. And I'm, having commuted regularly a long commute of a couple of hours on trains, I discover, as I think back on it, that most of the important books I've read, I've read on trains. And I think trains are wonderfully conducive to reading, that sense of, of a moment that's suspended from your normal busy life. A bit less so now, obviously, with being able to get on the net on trains and work. Yeah. But I think there's something wonderfully, as it was, yes, yeah, suspended, and um, mm-hmm. th- there's a freedom to read and feel that there's no TV to watch and so on and yeah. so forth. And if the cows are blocking the train for half an hour? Just read on You can read a little more. In <laughs> fact, my own feeling my own feeling about high-speed trains, for example, is that really the idea of high-speed trains was that the time people spend on trains is wasted. This is a terrible mistake. The time people that spend on trains, if the train is a nice train and you have a seat on it, is not wasted at all. Um, it's full with reading. And, of course, now you can fill it with work as well if you want. Yeah. so. Uh, I'm quite happy sometimes to get a slower train and and have a bit more time to read, and there have been times when even a delay was welcome, yeah.
0: There's some real wisdom there, and there's some real (laughs) wisdom in your book, Italian Ways. Tim Parks, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to Italy and beyond. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Italy's top sites, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next Italian adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.